It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And we're here this week to talk about the sixth episode of HBO's Westworld. This one is called The Adversary. Do you have an idea what this title might mean? There's a theme that runs through several of the character arcs this week of someone is definitely opposing our heroes, if they are actually heroes. And so adversary does mean to oppose. Another more archaic meaning in Hebrew, it translates as Satan. That seems so right on the nose for me because we've sort of been playing with this, you know, creator, who's God, who's God, who's God. And this whole time we've been like, well, but there's got to be a checks and balances here. So there's got to be Satan. So I feel like that's really a good one. And I think the point of the of the show, maybe, or at least the first season is telling us which is which. <laughs> like Ford or Arnold. Ford's just this kind of old guy, you know, who seems to have a God complex. But is he actually the bad guy? And Arnold is the good guy. We don't know. I don't think that they're going to tell us which is which. I think they're going to set up all the characters and then we're supposed to start filtering them out for ourselves. Like, so who falls on which team? But it definitely feels like a chess match to me. Like somebody's going to move and then somebody else is going to move and we're going to kind of be very strategic about what happens next. And I think that it's very obvious to think that Ford was the good guy, the God, the creator at first. And then now he feels like not good and feels more like the devil and bad. But then this episode, I feel like we were introduced to we think Arnold or the spirit of Arnold or whatever the opposing force is to Ford. And he seems more more mean. The show has gone out of its way to tell us that the white hat, black hat thing, it doesn't work out. Almost everyone is going to be a, a gray hat of some kind. And when you call someone the adversary, which is associated with Satan, you're pretty much saying definitely black hat. I agree. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not so much what hat you're wearing, but there are reasons to do things where if you just took the action, you could categorize it as good or bad. But if you knew the motive behind it, Oh, they they push that person. Oh, well, that's bad. Well, they push them to get them out of the way of the moving car. Oh, that's good. Like, you need to know the motivation behind the person doing it. And right now, we still don't know anybody's motivation. We're, we're still completely in the dark, I would say. Who do you want to talk about first this week? I think Maeve was the character who had a really encapsulated story all unto herself. She was working primarily with Felix and eventually with Sylvester, the entrepreneurial gross-out Sylvester. <laughs> He's nasty. I never like it when men who have straight hair like that grow their hair like from the top of their head all the way to their neck in like a one straight line. I always feel like that person is extra creepy. Let that be a note to you out there. Don't even look at Caroline if, if that describes <laughs> your hairstyle. It just weirds me out. Seems like she has figured out how to wake up on her own whim. And she is using her narrative death cycles to build up her, her stamina for this. And now she can just do it. It's like she understands now that her death is the basically the transporter to go back to the other area that she's trying to figure out right now. So she basically spends all her time, it seems, making sure that she kills herself in some way or another and then 
can pop up in the other world and ask more questions. This is very educational. You get to uh, explain a lot of show mythology to us in the form of Maeve, the wide-eyed doe in a, in a strange land, asking questions and Felix telling all of us the answer. And we got a great tour of the entire, I'm going to say factory, but corporation, I guess. So one of the first questions that she asks that I thought was of interest was that Felix says he's a human and she's not. And Maeve asked, how do you know? And that that did give me a pause for a second. Like, how do any of us know that we're human? I liked his answer, which was, well, I was born and you were created. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, duh, uh, duh. That's how we all know we're human, right? We were born out of someone else. I think eventually the hosts will be able to have kids. That's my feeling is that they will be able to birth one another in some strange fashion. I don't know how. You know what's kind of funny? I was just thinking about it. Part of the creation process where the almost fully formed body is uh, just whisked through a gigantic vat of the white milky paint. Yeah, it's like it like rocks back and forth in it. Doesn't that seem like a, a baptismal sort of motion, you know? Oh, like, yeah. I can't think of a good reason why you would need to manufacture something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? I don't know why you would like whip them through it and then go back and forth. But no, I think you're exactly right. Like dipping them in and it does seem to be like the last stage before they sort of pink up. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like, literally, if you when you watch that part, their skin pinked up like it was like you when you were born, you know, they're like, they need to start crying, then they start getting pink from that sort of white milkiness that they first come out like. Well, Felix does say we are the same for the most part, which confirms pretty much what we were kind of guessing that that their technology has evolved to basically synthetic people. And like Caroline just mentioned, there's a big hose that goes into uh, a guy that is white and it is just pumping crudely this <laughs> mass of blood into the guy. And then all of a sudden his heart starts. Yeah. And his skin pinks up and he really starts looking like a human. So Felix breaks the news to her there that she is a machine and she really feels like she needs to see what's upstairs. Is there any way in the world, if you were Felix, you would take Maeve on this walking tour? That did seem a little far-fetched because he could be so easily found out. The Westworld employees are kind of delineated by what they wear right. as to where they belong. And guys that wear the white suit with the red gloves, they belong down below. The guys in the black suits and girls... They belong in behavior and programming, and he was up in that level pretending to have her traipse around. It did seem like if there's only a finite number of employees that are there, even though it takes like a lot of employees, I'm sure, to do this, and when they rotate, maybe the huge roster of employees is probably pretty big, but since they're only there for like a rotation... How does everyone not know when like Jim is sleeping now and I'm on and da -da, you know, like, yeah. how would they not be like, Felix, the hell? Like, yeah. what are you doing? And like, no one would not know one another because I'm sure there's like a cafeteria or like a dorm area or something. And you guys are, it's not like people slip in and out and you're like, oh, I've never really met him. It's like, no, you live here. Everyone lives here. And we live here for long periods of time. There's no way to be subtle or hidden around this place. So I thought this this part was a little, like you said, far-fetched that he would actually do it. But I did appreciate that we got a tour of what this place was all about. And I thought the music was so somber. It was impactful. I felt like there was an actual emotion behind it where you felt like she was feeling something and it made me empathize with her, which was like perfect because then I don't look at her as a robot. Mm. Now I'm already, no matter what she does next, 
they've already built me a layer of empathy. So if she does go downstairs and like blow everybody up, I'm like, she had her reasons. <laughs> okay. She had her reasons. Whereas if we didn't have this walk of like just breaking her down and realizing that her whole life is just nothing, nothing of what she thought, I don't think I would have had the same empathy. I would have been like, wow, look at this aggressive robot going to town. They walk us through that emotion because she sees herself in the marketing video that shows up on the wall opposite the elevator that Felix wants to take them back down the, where they belong to. And she sees what she thinks of as dreams, which Felix later explains to be, no, you actually did that stuff. You've been here a long time and you did that stuff. And now you've just been tweaked your program a little bit to go from you know, the, the frontiers woman to the madam. It was hard. I thought it was really hard. The The entire experience, I felt like I had a lot of empathy for her, even though, it, again, I mean, we, we obviously know she's playing the part of a robot and we can see him manipulating her behavior via the tablet, ultimately changing her settings and all that kind of stuff. I feel like it was heartbreaking for her to have to realize where she was and realize what people had been doing to her and then all in the same thought, having to come around and come up with a plan of like, well, you know what? I'm I'm not okay with this, but I'm not going to sit here and cry about it. I'm going to take action and I'm going to make a plan now. Right when she's trying to start come up with that, Sylvester comes in and is going to bust the plan wide open. This scene took me a few minutes to understand what she was talking about because she was being kind of coy about it. She figures Sylvester's whole game out and has him wrapped around her finger by the end of their conversation. It was clear that Sylvester was going to try to tell her that they didn't have any control over the behavioral tablet to change settings, but... Felix had already spilled several beans <laughs> be before Sylvester came in. And we as the audience members already knew that somebody had made the hosts more interactive for uh, some sort of playtime when they were down <laughs> in the butcher shop, right? Stress relief. Something. So we he already knew that and Maeve just bit onto that and was like, you know what? I think that you totally can and I'm just going to not take my cut and you can keep humping my girls and instead you're just going to adjust the settings. The settings screen was a really interesting kind of graph and it definitely reminded me of video games or role-playing games where they just have the important statistics that that make up a person plotted out in a way that you could just rattle off numbers and then everyone who knows how the scale works understands. So when they said 140 in several game systems, that might just correlate to like an IQ of 140, you know, so mm. pretty smart. Yeah. And so they, they jacked up her intelligence to the top. They put her pain threshold low and her loyalty low. And that's how they had this kind of moment where she actually like inhaled like... <sighs> And like sort of became the new Maeve in that moment. One part that I thought was interesting was when Sylvester was like, oh shit, somebody's already been altering her settings in unlogged sessions. This is something that we are going to hear again and again throughout this episode. Like somebody's been in here messing with the robots again. One theory that we have of Arnold's influence is that he is somehow the ghost in the machine. He's not physical, but he is out there and able to influence his creations. And in this episode, we do get some of that kind of correlated. He may still have a physical body, but something out there is doing something for him. Boy, speaking of another host that had a major 
180 in their character, Teddy, had quite a change of heart this episode. What were the words that he told him? Something like, brush yourself off? I don't remember, but I mean, it was like it turned on Terminator mode for... Teddy. Oh, something like we need to smile at the perils of our past or something like that. Yeah. That's what you were asking what Ford said. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Magic words, all right, because the guy just is operating on a different level now. Uh, He's intense, man, and he, not unlike Felix, gives us an entire rundown of how this place works in quick fashion here. So for all of us who wanted some amount of acknowledgement of the maze by anyone else, and actually talk about it, not just like the maze, the maze, but like What is it? What is it supposed to be? Teddy gives us a little summary and says, basically, it's the sum of your life, all your choices, all your mistakes. The man in the middle is supposed to be the universal man. He did his retributions with everybody and then went back to the center and like built his little house and built a maze around him so that nobody could bother him again. And that was it. Yeah, this sounds like a pretty good candidate for Arnold. It does. That with all this work the maze, work the maze, that Arnold somehow wants to be found. Ford also fits that pattern, though, too. I mean, if Westworld is a maze unto itself, and in many ways, he's kind of like down in the center of it and sort of built the whole thing around him, you know? Yeah. And so in some ways, he fits it, too. Not that it's as perfect of a fit, but it still seems like he's kind of the same thing. Like, he's at the center and he built all these barriers around him. So I'm thinking Teddy is probably a later generation model, not a first generation model. He gives credit to the natives, like it's native folklore. Mm -hmm. But someone still had to program him. The last person to program him was... Ford. Now, was that maze stuff part of that? Part of that update where he learned about Wyatt and and all that stuff? Or had he been programmed with it sometime prior to that? I'm betting that he didn't hear about it from the Arnold source is what I'm getting at. So someone else knows about the maze and he knows about it now too. Hmm. I have no idea how Teddy got this information. I mean, we've seen them just instantly get information from like a download and we've seen them like Dolores pick up information by seeing things. We've seen Maeve ask questions and, and gain information both from hosts like Hector and from Felix. So I don't know. They have a lot of different ways to have been getting this information. I'm not sure who was the informant for Teddy. Man in Black and Teddy have teamed up in a fashion that resembles more like equals than Man in Black was letting Lawrence play Oh, yeah. Even like Teddy was like, I don't even care if you come with me anymore. He was going to go off on this adventure all alone. Apparently, they're trying to get to to the other side, right? Yeah. And they have all these like blockades set up. So the Union soldiers are blocking all these different areas. They're trying to skip that trouble and they go around, but they find more trouble. Because they have soldiers everywhere. They do the, like, a la Star Wars and every other movie where they see two guards who have costumes or uniforms that would fit just so. So they have to go jump them. Now we find out that Teddy has a famous face in the army and a reputation that did not change with the new narrative. We also find out that Wyatt is a real Negan. He is a torturer. Yeah. As they're walking along and they're seeing like people's hands cut off, their eyes are cut out. Teddy lets us know that, yeah, Wyatt is not for just like killing a guy that was too boring. So he got all creative with how to hurt people. I was shocked when the soldier recognized Teddy's face and called him out. I was grateful that they gave us that flashback to confirm that, yeah, Teddy is somehow involved with Wyatt. Though when I watched that flashback, 
of them doing the shootout, Wyatt seems like he's coming down one road and Teddy's coming down the other. And it seems like when they're both shooting Union soldiers, but what it seems like when Wyatt sees Teddy, he's surprised. Like, oh, hey. Teddy's story is like he came back with these strange ideas and and then killed everybody in the group or whatever. A lot doesn't match up. And I'm wondering if he is delusional or lying. I wonder if maybe when Ford put him on like hyped up mode or even downloaded things, if it did like agitate everything, like even the the memories in a way that like made them fuzzy. Yeah. Somehow something's not quite right. Because I mean, if you change the settings on somebody in some way, it seems like then when they look back, maybe they see their actions differently than they were. Mm -hmm. Well, and it might be one of those point of view things. Perhaps we're seeing something like half of the platoon had been kind of reprogrammed by Wyatt and Teddy took them out. And the, the other half were just running for their lives and Wyatt took them out until it was just the two of them. You know, maybe it's that and they're just out of bullets. We haven't seen the whole scene play out. Right. Getting back to Teddy's badassery. When they were about to brand Teddy with the maze symbol, that was gross. And why the maze symbol? I don't know. It's coming up like crazy now. I don't know. Does that mean that you're going to get shipped to the front lines, whatever that is? Well, even if... What does it mean? I don't know. What does it mean? Even if the U.S. or maybe not the U.S., but the Union, let's just call it Army, were going to brutally brand somebody, doesn't that particular brand seem really out of place? I think so. And and it shows up in other places in this episode. So it's almost like the maze is permeating through the program in a way that's (laughs) like... Which maybe it is. Maybe whoever is messing with the hosts or the storyline here, maybe they are doing strange things, adding the brand to things or whatever. So far, we've seen it mostly like a brand where it's like pressed into wood, pressed into the coffin, pressed into the table, like that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's mostly like if you had like one branding stick, you could do all that. But it seems like, yeah, you're right. It's coming up like nonstop. Maybe it's like a signpost to tell you you're on the right path. So when the man in black sees the maze, he's like, great. I'm in the right place. (laughs) Yeah. Boy, do they poorly tie up Teddy and Man in Black? Because, wow, they just both like, just like let the ropes go in their hands. Like they were supposed to be tied up. These are soldiers. Y'all don't have any skills at all. Right. And somehow Man in Black is able to find a pistol or his pistol right away. And I love how he's like, let's get out of here. And Teddy's like, nah, they're going to (laughs) follow. Oh, my God. What is the name of that gun that he uses? That is a Gatling gun. Wow. That was impressive. Those were real. He had no issue at all mowing down the entire company there. Had no apologies. I felt like they were talking directly to the audience when you feel like Man in Black like looks directly kind of at us and says like, yeah, think you know somebody. And that's how we all felt like, oh, shit, we thought Teddy was like this Lone Ranger guy and, you know, coming along to take Dolores away on these someday vacations and blah, blah, like it turns out he just like mowed people down like crazy. It seemed like everybody's storylines got upheaval. Ford had a, had a meet up with one of the maze brandings that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. So I guess they were coming into town to decide how far they were going to play in this new narrative. I like the town freeze. Yeah, that's awesome. The stuff that they were saying to him was pretty weird too. Like we're going to have to demolish this whole town to put in this canyon. Like who thinks in terms of <laughs> canyon remodeling? Canyon remodeling. <laughs> you know? That should be like a, the new HGTV, like remodel my canyon. Right. Nice. I Pit you know, my chasm. When he saw the um the branding on the table there, 
and Ford's face looked so puzzled. Yeah, I only got puzzlement, perplexing, like, what am I looking at? And, and I loved that he didn't just, like, let it lie. Like, he ran back to the laboratory to go figure out what in the world this was in terms of, like, maybe was it in... I'm guessing he was looking to see if it was in their original designs or whatnot because he was looking at, like, that big 3D model he started with a map right i thought it was interesting that he pulled out actual books yeah it i thought it was maybe i don't know if it was his journal and drawings and such or if it was arnold's but it definitely seemed like it was you know one of theirs and it seemed like he was like pouring over maybe to double check like did he forget if that was on the original design or something which seems ridiculous but it's kind of seemed like he was like checking his own sanity in some way like had that always been there and he was like checking or was he looking for something else? I don't know. Is there some other nugget he could have been trying to get out of it? I assumed that they were Arnold's books. That's how mm-hmm. I got it. Like he had he had looked through them in the past and it sparked that memory that he kind of knew where to look. And so they spared us the pouring through several books and he went right to it. But it's more like it just kind of was like in the corner of his mind and then he But do you think he was looking to see if it was a part of the original design or do you think he was looking for obviously some clue of what At this point it would just seem to be a clue cuz that book didn't seem to have a lot of narrative to it. It seemed like just it's all drawings. out of context um yeah, sketches, doodles and ideas that the person who made it would understand completely, but the person looking at it would be like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Yeah, it almost just seemed like a brainstorming notebook type yeah. thing. So really interesting. Well, we did have a, a difficult moment for Ford that I felt like was another one of those like, oh, this whole situation just went up a notch for him. <laughs> the uh, dog? Yes. So we had found out through our Bernie story that Ford did have his family recreated in Westworld. He went out to go talk to boy Ford and was going to throw the ball around with Jock. Remember that greyhound from the story? Mm-hmm. So the boy's like, oh, yeah, about that. <laughs> There's a situation. And they take a look. And the dog, was the dog shot or something else? I was just going to go with brained with mm. a heavy rock kind of thing. You okay. know, Because when they showed the family, they didn't look like firearms type type people um they look like a little english family <laughs> yeah no <laughs> you know? it's like a cottage in the woods ford is not accepting this jock situation well at all so he takes boy ford back to the interrogation room which incidentally looks a lot like the room that bernard slash possibly arnold interrogates dolores in mm-hmm. like it's been out of use for a while and an older style it doesn't it doesn't have the seamless glass meetings uh, you know the corners and things oh this is definitely a secret room yeah for certainty secret there was a part where ford was talking to the boy there's the reflection of the boy's face in the glass overlapping fords that i thought Mm -hmm. visually was like really stunning they did like a nice job with creating something that just made you think like this is such a difficult situation for him. And they and he asks him point blank, like, what happened with this dog? He tells some weird convoluted lie. Mm-hmm. And Ford's like, no way. Like, try again. Super interesting because Ford, like to all of the other robots, but especially the family robots, he is their god. And the family robots only respond to his voice commands. Nobody else. Mm-hmm. And they are off the grid. 
and they are their own thing. So why would the, he think to lie? Yeah, right? and Whoa. and he had to he had to actually be pressed into admitting that he lied under analysis mode before he gave it up. That was that. It seems like maybe because he does admit someone told me to kill the dog. Who told you, Arnold? Maybe Arnold also said, and by the way, don't tell anyone that I'm talking to you. It's interesting because then that means that the boy is not nearly as simple, even though we know it's an original model, because he had the sense of um, hiding it, of being like, this is wrong. It was wrong to do this. And I should somehow not tell him. And I don't, I wonder if it had just happened or. What? Because obviously I kind of wonder if that if it had stretched out a little bit, like would he have tried to bury the dog? Like what would have happened? It kind of seemed like it had just happened mm -hmm. not long before. That whole scene, I I felt like Ford's heart was just like beating out of his chest because Arnold's from beyond the grave or however you want to look at this, somehow really this was a major chess move. Like whatever crap that Ford is doing with the with the excavator and every time he was like smashing up what I can only assume was like Arnold and his old creations, it seemed like it was like, oh yeah, I'm going to just kill your dog. And it, it seems so pointed and so perfect of who to get. I wonder if it's a warning because I like the, that. the boy told him, essentially the rationale was, you should kill the dog because the dog is a killer and killers need to die so that they don't kill anything else. And since Arnold's death is still a mystery, we have lots of things that we can think maybe happened. Maybe Dolores did it. Maybe William did it. Maybe Arnold killed himself. All these options. But like you pointed out, his name is Robert Ford. The same as the guy that killed Jesse James. Mm -hmm. So... This is a matter of friend turning on friend. Yeah. So so Robert Ford was actually a member of Jesse James' gang. So they were friends. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that, and he shot him in the back for the ransom money. So it was like 100% betrayal, coward, horrible. So if someone were then to go and kill Robert Ford's dog and say, you know, killers deserve to die. That's like leaving a note, like, I'm coming for you. Oh, it feels like the horse head in the bed, right? <laughs> right. Like, it's the dog head in, in the grove. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's right in your face. And I feel like, you know, Ford has already been unnerved so many times in these last couple of episodes where it seems like he's he's trying to to keep hold of the situation, but it is slipping, slipping away from him so fast. The previews make him look like he turns the page himself and turns on, you know, Darth Vader mode pretty soon here. A lot of interactions this week were between Ford and Bernie that are very interesting. So we're going to pick up with Bernie's arc this week. Bernie also went through a ton. Cool mythology stuff too. Um, Elsie's been working on this stray. The clues lead to an old location positioning system that the park used to use for the hosts, but they don't use anymore. In order to use it, you got to go downstairs. Very interesting. This is like an Easter egg where in one of the background shots, you can see host prototype in a cowboy hat in the same style as Yul Brenner's hat from the movie 40 years ago. And I think that's just like a visual like wink. Like he's like abandoned there. Yeah. 
Well, there's definitely like an entire theme of this idea of having like the old equipment still around mm. and they're not really out of commission. So like Bernard uses the GPS access, but he has to go downstairs to this like, you know, B82. And it's strange because it's not just like it's it's an office area that's no longer being used. Like maybe there's some covers on the computers right. and the chairs are stacked up and stuff. It's like opposite to that. It's like there was just like a flood and fire in that area the and they all just went to another level. The world's craziest office party before they decided yeah, to Yeah, like there's up. like dripping from the ceiling, but like the computers are still plugged in and operational and everything like it just happened. I can't think of another kind of operation where the business would just decide to build on top of the things that it's not using anymore and then just leave that stuff to rot. Yeah, and like nobody even, like I said, it's not like the chairs are stacked and there's covers on the computers and we're, we're still going to leave it there like a la Astrodome. But it's like weirder than that because it's like someone was just sitting here with like a drink and stuff, which maybe that's a clue into us. Somebody has been to be mm. to be using it because the vibe you get is that someone just left. But I feel that the vibe that we got isn't accidental. It's not just like, oh, what a weird company. It's like, I think we're supposed to feel like someone just left from that console because somebody's affecting the hosts and these unlogged uh, sessions and stuff. So somebody's utilizing this space. And I think you're supposed to have that like the coffee maker still warm kind of feeling. I could go with that. I mean, the fact that the computer worked, still responded to voice commands, that's a that's a pretty good sign that someone someone else has been doing the same thing. And it wasn't like crusty and whatever from like 30 years of non-use. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, what's happened here? But using the computer leads Bernard to Ford's secret family. He tells us that Arnold built the family as a, to me, it would seem like a pretty bizarre gift, but it was a gift to him uh, since I guess none of his family was living anymore. My guess is that maybe because he had such like a tortured childhood and that's such a part of his personality that it seems like maybe it would be a gift from Arnold, like almost like a redo. Like what if you could have your family back, but it could be the picturesque childhood you had hoped for. Mm. So I'm going to make the dad loving and the dog never does run away or do anything. And your brother always stays here and your mom's healthy and right here, you know, making lunch with you. Like what if, I could give that to you again, because if you think about Arnold, his hope for people, we think was to come and have different experiences, but not these negative, outrageous torture and sex situations. But what if you could come and experience your childhood for a week with what it would have been like had your dad in Ford's case, not been an alcoholic, not been belligerent and mean to you, you know, all these kinds of things like, well, that would be an experience worth paying for too. That makes a lot of sense in light of Ford saying that uh, Arnold had, had cast a very favorable light or something to that effect on the recreations that Ford then undid and put back in traits that he remembered because he didn't, he didn't go along with what you're saying. He doesn't, he doesn't want to honor people that, that don't live up to that ideal. See, and I'm going to go another way. I think it's also because he is a tortured person. And so I feel like the idea of him having this picturesque home life or whatever, when it was given as a gift, maybe it was given with like the, the sea, like enjoy. And, and I want you to feel like what it could be like to experience these happy feelings through using our hosting system. And because 
Ford is like rejecting that and being like, no, people are going to be able to go do whatever they want. He can't, he can't enjoy that. Like he has to twist it. You mm. see what I mean? Because mm -hmm. if he leaves it like this perfect scenario that he could come back to, it's almost like admitting that Arnold was right. This could have been used for good. And instead he like makes his dad kind of a dick and he, you know, everything's a little bit off, you know? Yeah. And so it's sort of like, no, that's not the way it is. And I'm, we're not going to pretend it could be that way. That's pretty good, Caroline. Thanks, Paul. I've been doing my, my thinking. I've been sitting in my chair with my pipe thinking all day. All of this must have been running through Bernie's mind because he says, I have to admit, this makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Poor Bernie. First of all, I did want to ask you a question. Okay, so when he came upon the the cottage in the woods there, for whatever reason, when the dad came outside, I actually said out loud, that's, a, that's the dad, which is crazy talk because dad of who? What was I even saying? What was I talking about? I think I meant the dad of the little boy, but I wasn't thinking Ford's dad. I was thinking, here's that long lost stupid family that that boy keeps bebopping from saying, my parents are having this boring vacation. And so I just keep wandering away. And I really did think that was his dad, but I made zero connection that like, duh, that's Ford. That makes that Ford's dad. Like I didn't make that connection. I just thought it was the little boy's family and an explanation of where the hell he keeps coming from. Well, you had the boy nailed all along. I just didn't make the connection. The background, though. it doesn't really matter that, I mean, you didn't have enough to go on, but nailing it that it was Ford, the dog, the dad, all that stuff. You had that weeks ago. If you were Bernie, would you have opened that door with such authority? To have been like, well, bam, the landlord's here. <laughs> would you have been like that? Or would you, Bernie, especially like when he opened the door and then there turns out to be like five hosts in there? Like it wasn't just like he opened the door and the one old man was sitting there whittling. I mean, the place was bustling with, with all these people. Bernie thought he had God mode when he walked in. Because he just true. casually says, cease motor function. And then the guy doesn't stop. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. So that's why he had this false sense that he could control the situation. Yeah. So that's why he burst in like a boss, right? Because well, he thought he was. And it was so weird. I mean, Old West did not have brick homes like that. You know, that, that was completely anachronistic. It would, if I created Westworld and I found that house there, I would also be like, WTF is yeah. going on here. Somehow they made it off limits, they said, but I'm not sure how they do it. Maybe there's some sort of like force fieldy thing or something. I don't know. Somehow they made that section off limits. So it seemed like no guest could stumble upon it in theory. The uh, Discover Westworld website doesn't have anything very explicit. We might be able to kind of guess if maybe we think of where the boy might be able to go in walking speed. I kind of think it's in the southwest part of that map, but mm. that's just a guess. I really don't have any idea. So then Bernie gets himself in such a mess there with the dad grabbing on him. Did you expect Ford to pop up? Did you expect that's how that scene was going to end there with Ford just breaking it up? No way, because Ford would have seen the whole thing start, you know? So mm -hmm. if Bernie hadn't gotten into trouble... He would have, what would he have done? What would he have done? Just watched, just hid, just ran away. Like what was, what was, what was his end game here? Once the jig was up on, on secret family. I wonder if it's possible that this is going to sound crazy and like way more complicated. So I'm just going to throw it out there and it's not going to make a whole heck of a lot of sense. 
So I wonder if this comes under any of the like surveillancey kind of stuff where like um, maybe Ford isn't physically there, like you said, like why, what was he going to do? Just like huddle in the corner until Bernie just took off. Maybe he wasn't physically there when he first walked in, but maybe some sort of breach of the door being open when everyone was already in the house or something like that, like alerted him. And I know it doesn't make any sense that he should be able to snap his fingers and pop up anywhere in Westworld, but it kind of seems like he does. And so I don't know if it's a secret tunnel-y kind of thing. For all we know, there's a direct tunnel between this house and Ford's office. Like, I mean, he could literally open one door and walk in and close the door and come back. Like, we have no idea where this place is. So it kind of a little bit seemed more like he wasn't there because you're right it seems like he would have almost called Bernie out just for opening the door. Like, hello, Bernard. Like, I don't even think he would wait until the father and him got into a tussle to step in. I feel like he would have been like, here for lunch or something. Like, he would have said something, mm -hmm. acknowledge it, and try to normalize it rather than even allowing Bernie to see that his voice commands didn't work. I'm trying to think that when Bernie came to this location, he used something that looked like the same elevator that Ford used a few episodes ago when he showed up at the Black Spire mm -hmm. or nearby, but it wasn't. It's just down below it looked the same, but up above, when they panned back a little bit so you could see the elevator, it was all surrounded by desert, whereas this elevator was surrounded by woodlands. Mm -hmm. But still, in that episode when Ford uses that remote elevator the boy is near enough by that he shows up in those scenes yeah and that makes total sense to me because i do feel like that area is included in the area that no guests can come to because i have a new theory on what that black spire is i do not think it's a black steeple of any church i think we've gotten a good enough look i think it's arnold's grave and so it would make sense to me that this is an area that ford keeps for himself almost in a weird ghoulie keeping an eye on it, like as if he would know if someone got out of it or something. Mm -hmm. Like he seems to be keeping tabs on it. So I think that Black Spire is him paying attention. You're right. It's within distance that the boy is just wanders right over to him. So even though it's like the desert and the woods, I still think that like maybe underneath literally Ford's office could just be like right there. And he just like pops up to the, to the gravesite, pops up to his old house. It makes sense to me because he's got to keep that crap tight to the, to the chest, right? You think this, this is, is the crazy. right time to spill the beans on our pet theory related to the spire, even though it doesn't really come up this episode? Sure, hit it. All right, here's the pet theory. This is crazy. Hold on to your hats. You might need to pull over if you're in the car. Dolores has a number of flashbacks that show a town, but we've only ever seen Sweetwater and Pariah looks different. And the little uh, Spanish-looking town looks different. They don't have the wooden slatted you know, storefronts that Sweetwater has. So all those flashbacks that she have, we kind of assume are Sweetwater. But in one of those flashbacks, she is looking at definitely a train station that is covered. And the train stopping point in Sweetwater is just a platform. So here's the pet theory. There was a, another town in the old timeline that was somehow wrapped up in the nastiness with Arnold. Ford just raised it just to the ground. Nothing left except... The Black Spire. Yeah. That is the location of the old town. And I feel like he 
goes back there. It's it's a memorial to not just Arnold, but the catastrophe in general of whatever happened. And, you know, that makes me think again about that last scene with the boy and him when the snake comes up. Mm-hmm. The fact that I do think that that's Arnold's grave and he's like, get out of here. A little bit, I kind of feel like if we think Arnold's like, the devil or Satan or the bad guy or whatever in this scenario, then that's like representative of the snake. Yes. And it's still, he's still kind of being harassed by it. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. Like there's obviously no living things out there. There's no reason to have a robot snake. There's no reason to have anything right there. But the symbolism of it really works Mm -hmm. because he had just explained to the boy that he thinks this place is perfect. Mm -hmm. That he, A, made this place. And B thinks everything about it down to the tiniest grain of sand is perfect. And then there comes the snake. And, and it's a snake that he considers a bother. Like he says, get out of here, you know? If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm alluding to Eden being a perfect place and the snake showing up. And wrecking it. With, this, with the snake being Satan. Now, here's the deal. I, I feel like there's going to be enough twists and turns where I do not think this is so straightforward. I do not think that Ford is God. Arnold is Satan. This snake is coming. I, I do not. This is not what I think happened. I think that we're getting these nuggets and we're getting these pieces, but there's going to be a like a twist to, you know, 90 degrees or something where it's like, oh, no, Ford fits on the snake head and, you know, Sizemore's over here. and whatever. Like somehow everybody's going to click to the left and the characters are going to line up in a totally different way. So speaking of clicking to the left, how freaky was it when Ford gives the command to Robert boy Ford to um, turn the other cheek? That was really uh, gratifying to see. We had been wondering how these first generation hosts looked inside. And this is our glimpse. This is what we get to see. It was actually, you know, the marketing for the original Westworld movie was an image of Yul Brenner with his face kind of moved off to the side and then robot guts in his head. Mm. So this is a little bit like that. And as a boy looking at movies at the VHS store, you know, it was like, I want that one, you know, with the, with the, with the robot you face. You talked so weird when you were a child. Yeah, kind of. Speech therapy really helped. <laughs> very froggy. So what was the point of them showing that his face could open up like that? Why did Ford feel the need to show this to Bernie? What was the, what was our takeaway from that? Hmm. Well, a very practical takeaway is, is showing us what first gens look like and that they're, First generation hosts are very important in this episode because the stuff that's happening to hosts is happening to first generation hosts. So we get a chance to see, well, what makes them different? If you shoot little Robert, is he going to bleed or is he just going to like spew chunks of uh, cogs cogs and right springs and things? The deeper meaning for showing his, his guts. Hmm. Because I, that's okay. So that's one reason maybe for the writers to write it to the audience but why would ford choose to show bernie that what is that part well he is always constantly dehumanizing the robots especially to bernie maybe he also kind of wanted to be like look at how cool like these old ones were like sort of like when you have like an old piece of technology and you kind of show someone how it works and it's like yeah surprisingly cool yeah and it has like all these like little features that you're like wow i you know the new one is is slick but this one's 
intriguing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Do you think it also was maybe to show that he could control it and that they were his. under his control? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That all freaks Bernie out. Another pet theory that we've picked up is that this Bernie may just be a robotic reincarnation of Arnold. And I think that Ford has plugged in his own voice commands into that Arnold Bernie that whenever he brings up the dead son, that Bernie just turns inward and he's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And then he runs away because that's what he does every time. It works like a charm, right? right? Yes. It really does. But here's the thing that I really enjoyed about this. Normally in a story, the Bernie character would run off and go do something else completely. Go bury his sorrows, go have a drink, go talk to Colin, something like that. But no, he goes directly to start researching the first gen robots, which was very, very cool to me because mm-hmm. we just like kept, keep going, keep going. Like, don't just scratch the surface. Show us more, show us more. So he gets the whole list of first gen robots. He's not quite sure what he needs that for just yet, but he knows it's going to be helpful. And he goes and talks to Cullen because he is still ooked out about the robot family. Bernie and Cullen, a relationship made of convenience. Cullen takes Ford's advice. And ends the relationship in a very, shall we say, business-like manner with her subordinate. Yeah, that was harsh. Really harsh. And poor Bernie. I mean, his face looked awful. Just awful. That was some stern business. It was, it was almost like firing him, basically. But said just breaking up in a very callous, cold <laughs> way. So this makes later discussions between the two of them... A little tainted with some of that. Are you here to talk about that other stuff? Because I don't want to talk about that other stuff kind of kind of business. Well, and it makes me wonder too, like sort of reminding us about their relationship like that before all this other stuff comes up, even though I know it's a breakup, but it was like a it was a reminder of how long they'd been together and all the different all the different sort of web tangling that they'd been doing because she's like, you know, do you really think you can be impartial? That kind of stuff. I think that's important because I feel like it is an eye-opener to us that like, do you think one or the other, one or the other, and I don't know which, was keeping the other one close because of what they were up to? Mm. Now, I can't say who's up to what yet. I don't know if Cullen has totally got this other agenda that we're talking about now with the espionage or if, or if it was Bernie trying to keep her close because he's having these secret conversations with Dolores. And so it's kind of, you know, you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. like. Maybe the best thing to do is like, yeah, be in a really tangled up relationship, hear their kind of pillow talk and like, what do they say in their sleep and try to keep them tight. That makes a lot of sense. And that also makes sense why Colin would, once she was found out, break it off because that relationship would only profit her in secret like that. But if it was exposed, then then she would come out the worse. Agree. So when Bernie does show back up at Colin's later, They do have to go through the, I thought we've been through this business. This is almost like a a horror movie type thing, you know, like, like you mentioned when we were watching it. Is is this like when they say he's calling from inside the house? On his way over to Colin's house, he had gotten a call from Elsie. Yeah. And she was trying to fill in that like, you know, I I had this transmitter that's in this abandoned theater and I want to go check it out. And he's like, be careful. And he like cuts off and you're like, oh my God, that is very, very like, don't go, no. 
And like definitely everything she shares with him in this series of information is all it's coming from inside the house. Like we have some sort of leak. There's some sort of spying going on. We had that little nugget where Cullen had like a Chinese conversation um, through like video conference. So that added in just like this one sentence part that didn't we didn't have any information about it or context or anything but it was like okay so now we've got sort of this wrapped up in our heads but i still was like unsure if cullen was really the culprit here Mm -hmm. but boy elsie really just quickly got to the root of the matter there wasn't a lot of playing around at all i mean she found that transmitter in about two seconds of being in that very very uh cluttered abandoned theater she like went directly to the transmitter and she calls her boss when he is at Cullen's apartment and says, oh, by the way, the person uh, that was last logged in on this machine was Cullen. This to me seemed like she's being framed. <laughs> I don't really like her, but she also doesn't seem like she visits the park very much, that she would have the, the technical chops to deal with these things that they're accusing her of. Oh, okay. I totally, I mean, I do not in any way um, underestimate Cullen's ability to have any of the technical chops to do anything. I think she could do anything, but I'm with you very much that it was very straightforward. I mean, Elsie was just like, it's Teresa. And like, that was like, oh, wow. Okay. You're just going to tell us. Typically, again, she would have said it's the phone would have died (laughs) and she wouldn't have said Teresa. And you know, and Bernie would have been like, boy, that was weird. And, you know, or Cullen would have heard her say Teresa so that she knew that Bernie knew, like everyone in the room, like something, something would have happened more awkward. But that was like a very straightforward, it's Teresa. Bernie's like, okay, I'll call you back. <laughs> like, and then it's very like, okay. The editing there leaves you like, geez, are you showing me everything? Because we hear over the phone, it's Teresa. And then the next thing we see is eventually at some point he leaves her her apartment and has this conversation with Elsie again. I all I was definitely wondering, did he leave right then? I kind of think he he did like, you know, maybe wait a, a couple of sentences, like maybe told a little bit, but then I think he did say, like, can you excuse me for a minute? Because it just seemed like he stepped stepped right out. Because he was in the middle so, of selling out Ford's secret family. Which did he actually get it all out? I that's my question mark. I don't know if he actually did. I'm kind of doubting it, but he, I, agree. I mean they leave it open. Yeah, where there could have been additional conversation there. My my heart says after Elsie says, Teresa, that I, if I was Bernie, I wouldn't tell her anything. I certainly wouldn't tell no. her this family was in the woods. She gets a question mark next to her name until things get sorted out. <laughs> right. I definitely don't, don't tell her anything else. So when he goes outside and Elsie is trying to explain some more, what did you think? What, what was going on here? Well, Elsie is able to figure things out at a lightning pace um, that Cullen or the person logged in as Cullen, was responsible for reprogramming the woodcutter and that someone else is also modifying hosts. This is another time this episode where we hear that this mysterious other... Or more than one other is, is doing like unlocked reprogramming, sessions. yes. Yeah. And she also has a name, Arnold. She doesn't, she doesn't really seem to know what it means. She doesn't really say it with a lot of confidence, except like, you know, login name Arnold. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if she's seeing anything more than that in her records 
you know, search or what. Yeah, because it's so familiar to us. And so it's like Arnold. And in, and my first thought was like, how, why would Elsie wouldn't know anything about Arnold if Bernie just found out about Arnold and nobody talks about Arnold within the company. He was scrubbed from the company. Then it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that Elsie would know the backstory at all or have any info, but you're right. Like the name or something must have come up on the screen or something for her, for her to be able to just say, Oh, it's Arnold, but not like, I wonder who is this? Not really like that, which was kind of like, okay. Like she wasn't really questioning it. If you remember, um, it was off, off camera. But when he explained, uh, Bernie explained the bicameral mind stuff to her at some point. So Arnold came up between them at some point, but it just doesn't make any sense to her that Arnold's name, a a dead person's name would come up as a recent login to this system that had been hidden deliberately so that the rest of the park wouldn't know that it was there. Right. So yeah, that is confusing. Elsie has a little bit more housekeeping to do. Before she can go, it's the uh, typical science fiction plot device where the upload speed is just not fast enough. You know, it's she's gonna... trying to she's still trying to tell Bernie information too. We get that completely freaky, like hand over her mouth, scoop her away moment. I was really surprised. Did you think that that's how that scene was going to end? I kind of did. Oh, because because she, she went without a buddy. Oh, you're right. Uh, so now we have to figure out who, who grabbed her. So we were thinking like how much they showed each of our characters during this episode in a way that made me a little bit feel like they were kind of giving everybody an alibi. So it's like they showed where Bernie had been like most of the time and Bernie was with Cullen Mm -hmm. seemingly at the time. Now Cullen could have like bolted from her place after Bernie stepped out, but it seemed like he was still kind of just like right there. Like yeah. maybe he would have he would have seen her go somewhere. I think, I think Bernie and Colin are out of position. Okay, yes. And then also the person who most came to mind whenever they were talking about someone either leaking information in or pushing information out or something was Sizemore. He seemed like the disgruntled employee that would absolutely be the like Newman from Jurassic Park jerk who would be like getting paid off by someone be selling out secrets but they did like an entire mini storyline with him giving him an alibi that he had been checked in at like the resort spa area for sick leave and so he had like not been around and they showed him really drunk and pretty out of it acting stupid kind of yelling at everyone certainly in a way that was not very like off the radar like he Uh, was doing peed on stuff he peed on stuff (laughs) so i mean do you know what i'm saying like it just seemed very like they kind of made him accounted for when he's been unaccounted for for episodes now, we haven't seen him at all. Mm-hmm. And he seemed like the glaring person. He was that snivelly, underhanded, crappy, creepy guy who was pissed and had a reason to go against Ford after being humiliated. He had the biggest reason, but then they give him like all this screen time of like where he was, what he was doing, how he's sick of all of this and stuff in a way that almost makes you feel like, well, wait, he seems like he's just been drinking on the veranda here the last time we saw Sizemore he was headed in to meet the woman from corporate who was going to oversee the transition in leadership um 
Cullen was also kind of involved with that meeting. And last time we saw her, she was at home. So either that meeting's over or it's not. Either way, Sizemore is just off the board for me on actual taking physical action against another person like that. Throwing the the, the scalpels and things at the native uh, robots, one thing. And But I think he's more of a a barker than a biter. That's just my guess. I'm with you. So even though I feel like he had the most motive at this point of, of the story of how many different people seem to be kind of like upset with Delos, it seemed most like to me, like Sizemore was the one, but I kind of, I'm, I'm pushing him down at the bottom of my list now until I see more activity. My favorite is Stubbs. Mine too. That's the one that I'm coming back to and feeling like he was really important with the woodcutter and the way that he behaved with the woodcutter where he wanted to deal with with the woodcutter and not do with elsie and the way he wanted to like cut the head off yeah and to me i just felt like he was more in the know about what was up with the woodcutter in that time and i don't know who ordered for the woodcutter to go to the incinerator but that we talked about that in a previous episode um of our podcast to say like who ordered that because whoever ordered that would have known that there was additional information that they needed to hide in the woodcutter. If you remember from the stray, Elsie was going to go out to the to the game all by herself. And mm-hmm. Stubbs caught up and is like, hey, let me escort you. So it kind of gives me the idea that he keeps his eye on her. Well, and on everything. I mean, he's security, right? Yeah. That's a, I mean, who better to leak out secrets but head of security, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're the person who would know if anybody else was fooling around with stuff and able to kind of keep people at like arm's length. And I think he would have the technical chops because he he was in the first episode, he was seen doing that update debriefing. So he does a little bit of that job mm-hmm. and uh, he knows enough about the the host that how to take their heads off correctly and that kind of thing. Right. And um, then he does all the physical stuff with the repelling and all that kind of stuff. So I think he'd be pretty well suited to be a mole. I think he keeps a more of an eye on Elsie than he does others. Mm, okay. And so I think maybe in that stray episode, like you just pointed out, he was there to cut off the head. He had his own like, no, I'm not waiting for backup kind of kind of reasons. Yes. And so it makes it seem like he doesn't want Elsie to stumble into what's going on. Absolutely. So here she is at the point where stuff is actually going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think Stubbs makes a perfect choice. We didn't see him in this episode. He wasn't accounted for. He wasn't given like an alibi of what he was up to. He makes perfect sense positioning wise. He makes perfect sense for being like under Cullen. And I feel like if Teresa was also logged in, then I feel like there's something to that. So it makes good sense to me. That's where I'm putting my money right at this moment. And it could just be next week. It's one of those lame ass cliffhangers where, you know, in the previous week, they show him, show somebody getting their mouth covered up and taken away by force. And the next week, it's just like, it's me. Cool down. Yeah, right. Or Bernie would be like, I'm sorry to scare you. Right. You know, I was just bringing you this blanket and I I accidentally put it too high and wrapped it around your face just then. (laughs) Sorry, I was just coming to warm you. You're right. It could be a total like deflating. But I mean, I feel like at this point, I do give them a ton of credit for really like throwing out so much information at us. 
I feel like some of it is definitely got to be red herrings. Like, you know, don't even bother going down that path like Sizemore. I don't really think he's the guy. But I think that there were some really good pieces of information here that if you kind of noodle on it for a while, I think you can come up with some really interesting storylines as to where we could be headed next. I really like what they did with Ford in terms of like he was all powerful previous to this. I mean, he made Cullen practically pee her pants and now he could not be more turned up on his head. His whole system isn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. It isn't working the way he likes to work it and his own creations in his own little microcosm between him and his little family. It's not working out anymore. How'd you like the approach of this episode being just straightforward, no jacking around with timelines or anything too spooky? It was just like, this is happening right now. I feel like as an audience, we needed that rest from having to try to come up with sort of these really abstract theories of like when things were happening and how how it was going down. And it was a little much as opposed to right now, it sort of gives us like a, a brain rest where I feel like we mm -hmm. can be like, okay, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And we were given a lot of meaty information. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's good mythology so stuff. Much, so much there, yeah, that we got to see that I think I would have been disappointed if they had taken all this foundation of, of things that we needed to know, like the story behind Ford's family or or how Delos looked inside. If they had interwoven that with like weird cuts and edits and and flashbacks and all that stuff, I feel like that would have been disappointing, I guess, because I wouldn't have felt as invested in the various plot points i would have felt distracted mm. i guess and and these were plot points that were important like how does delos do stuff and what is up with ford and these original robots and stuff like these were important plot points that if you made them confusing for an average audience member you would have lost their meaning and i think that would have been a big bummer yeah i told you how i found the one person's review or comment on facebook on one of the west westworld um pages that said this is the first episode i understood <laughs> <laughs> well and here's the thing i mean lots of people do not choose to watch it and rewatch it and rewatch it like we are and so there's no reason why upon one watching you should pick up the majority of these details so again they kind of have to throw you a bone every once in a while and just give it to you story-wise in a really um flavorful full of details kind of way that gives you something to gnaw on without having to untwist it to then gnaw on it oh yeah you know? i mean this episode was as well made as any of the other more abstract timelined ones it ranks up there with any other quality show but this one just was a lot easier to understand yeah it felt good too like rewarding like we got so much and there was so much uh to think about hmm. what's gonna happen next one of the things that i want to think about for future episodes is the boy Ford's use of um, his little eyes and if he is acting as like some sort of mole for Ford, like the way that he hopped out over and, and went over to, to Man in Black and Lawrence and kind of just, just looked around. He didn't do anything. I wonder if he is a, a recording device of either visually or auditorily or something for Ford at all times. If people kind of come within certain areas, maybe, or specifically Man in Black, I feel like there might be something there to that and maybe why he came in on the scene so quick with Bernie. Mm -hmm. 
Like maybe there's something about him and I still want to see where that might go. I feel like there could be something that could come in the future with that. In, in that thinking, it's very possible that boy Robert was sent to cross paths with Man in Black. It was no accident. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. And in the way that then immediately then adult Ford met him at the right. saloon then. That's very similar. It's like Bernie little boy sees and then oh then ford shows up it's kind of like oh i wonder if he can see through the boy's eyes in some way i don't know how so i look forward to next week's episode this was a great one yeah me too look for us on the web at dailyreview.com on facebook and twitter and instagram and catch up with us next week thanks for listening pot people thanks for listening to my mom and dad you don't have to go home but you can't stay here Just go home, folks.